Natalie. Tara. Before the pandemic, did you go to a lot of shows in Atlanta very often? Yeah, I'd say I went to a few shows. I definitely had my preferred venues. I spent a lot of time at Tabernacle. <laughs> um, yeah, but I feel kind of sad I haven't been to a, a proper live show in like two years. Ugh. Oh, I yeah. Know. It's been rough, but we're, we're kind of seeing some resurgence of shows again. I hope so, because there's some good ones coming. Oh, hi. Welcome to the store. Hi. I'm Tara. This is Natalie. Welcome. Let us know if you need any help. We'll be over here behind the counter just chatting away. Yeah, um, I, I feel like Atlanta has kind of a special, very specific music scene, and I haven't felt it in other cities that I've lived in, and I can't, but I also can't really explain it. It kind of feels like everyone who's into indie music, like indie rap, indie rock, indie punk, whatever, Everyone's kind of looped in, and uh, it's kind of like one big community. Have you felt that, Natalie? Yeah, I'd say so. I think, or I think like being in the South, there's like this shared identity, this pride around being artists coming out of Atlanta in particular, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, look who it is. Hey. Hi, Mateel and Jonah. What up? Welcome. Perfect timing. We were just talking about the Atlanta music scene, which you all are, or you both are a part of. Yeah, homegrown. Homegrown. <laughs> you bet your butts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a heck of a scene. Yeah. We always do this thing with some of our guests where we like to kind of play the high fidelity game, but I was wondering, since you're here... It would be really cool to learn kind of about your influences by way of your firsts, your musical firsts. Would you be down to play that game with us? For sure. Sweet. Okay, so yeah, actually, I should just start off by saying in case anyone is unfamiliar with Mateel. Mateel Brown is the vocalist, and Jonas Willie plays lots of instruments and produces the music as well. Do I have that right? Yes. Sweet. Both co-writers as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you could tell us in a minute more about your writing and how you actually work together. Um, but I would like to go ahead and just jump into it. Mateel. What was your first record? Um, probably my mom's copy of Sgt. Pepper's was like the first one that I played over and over on the on the turntable when I was a kid. Doing the garden, digging the weeds, who could ask for more? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 60? Oh, that's a cool one to have as a first. Actually, I am old enough that my stepdad had uh, eight-track tapes of the Beatles, and so I could listen to those. It was the red and blue ones, like the years, and it was like very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget which ones they're called, but that's cool. I've never played an eight-track an eight before. Yeah. <laughs> you could only, there was like four tracks, obviously eight tracks, so four tracks on each, and then you would just push the little button but you would have to listen to the whole song 
or yeah, like you couldn't rewind the song. You could skip songs, but you couldn't rewind the whole song. Right. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> Jonah, what was your first record? My first vinyl record uh, was my dad's record, and it's called It's the Anointing, and I just pulled it off uh, out of my Ooh. collection to show you. Cool. Uh, this is my dad. And uh, the album title is called It's the Anointing, and Candy Staten from uh, Fame Records, she recorded uh, his song. And that was like his one musical claim to fame. And uh, I think the first record I bought was Introducing the Beatles. And what year was this? It's 1985 because he, he shouts out my brother and my brother was just born. Wow, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. He shouts out your brother on the record. That's Yeah. All right. Are we ready for our next question? Yeah. Okay, it's coming for you first, Mathiel. What was your first cassette? Oh, my my dad had. It was either <laughs> it was either uh, REM. Or Bob Dylan, and those are also inherited cassettes because, like, I don't think I ever bought cassettes. Um, cause by that time, it was like CDs were the thing. But my dad had a Bob Dylan cassette and an REM cassette that I can remember that he'd play in the car all the time. And then I, I guess, I probably took those into my car when I went to college, <laughs> all amongst <laughs> other things. That's awesome. Do you remember which REM by chance? No, I don't, but uh, it was, I just remember like driving around Atlanta and listening to that tape all the time. Shiny Happy People was on it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that was on Out of Time, which is from 1991. But yeah, that has such a, and that's a, such a 90s Athens jangly guitar. Well, I feel like Bob Dylan has a jangly guitar too. So mm -hmm. those kind of are similar in a way. Yeah. I remember really liking Maggie's Farm and not really knowing. Work on Maggie's Farm no more. No, I ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm. What any of it meant, because I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it means to this day. Is there a script? <laughs> what is that? Is it I don't know. It's sort of a silly song, but like um there it seems like anything Bob Dylan writes probably has some kind of I don't know. I guess if he was giving an interview, he'd be like, I don't know, it just comes to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you, Jonah? What's your first cassette? I'm now realizing that so I've always known it was this Alvin and the Chipmunks cassette, but it was definitely the Christmas. It was like their Christmas cassette. And I would listen to it like year round. <laughs> I was like six years old. <laughs> they just keep running it back. 
But something about that Christmas album, of The Chipmunks, it was just like, it was my song. And I played it all the time. So yeah, it was, it was that one. That's cool. That's great. As an adult, have you gone and repurchased that one yet? <laughs> I have not. But I do have the, on vinyl, I have Alvin and the Chipmunks, like metal or whatever. And I think I got it as like a gag joke. And it's uh, really bad. It's bad. <laughs> I have one of them also. I have one of them. I think it's uh, rock. It's just like rock hit. They're like rock hits. But yeah. yeah it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I think it's the rock one. It's the rock one. Yeah, it's got like a blue cover. And then like on YouTube, you can find like the slowed down like death metal. Or not death metal, but like like uh, stoner metal versions of them. Oh, cool. Oh, I will be searching that later for <laughs> sure. <will> too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Mathiel, what was your first CD? That would be very best of share. I remember I saw it in like a Target store and asked my mom for it. And it had Cher on the cover wearing a blonde wig. And um, I just was enchanted by the cover. So, <laughs> yeah. Which, which cover is that again? What is that? Is that the purple one? Yes. The purple cover. I, I feel like I can picture it now. <laughs> yes. In the, in the sleeve, there's all these photos of her and her Bob Mackie outfits and all these different eras of Cher. I feel like I have known this about you, that you love Cher. So was that your first kind of encounter with her or? Yeah, I think it was actually. My first encounter with Cher was as her like early 2000s self. And then I discovered all the like history behind Cher after. That's cool. What's your favorite era of Cher? Um, like Studio 54 Cher. Uh, like there's pictures of her dancing in a like straw cowboy hat. Um, with, like, I like the Cher show. You ever seen the Cher show? Yes. Like the variety hour one kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I was gonna ask you, have you seen uh Cher's performance of West Side Story where she does all the parts by herself on the share show. But it sounds cool. What? <laughs> I really like it's on the share show how they have these big bulbs on the set of the share. I guess it was like the Sunny and Share show. I don't know. It changed over time, but on the set they had these big bulbs, these like light bulbs that had screen printed share and sunny like faces on them. And they were like 50 of these brown light bulbs all over the set. It was a, those are crazy sets. Wow. Speaking of sets, you just released a new music video uh, for the song Lighthouse, which is going to be on your new album, Georgia Gothic, releasing in March. Let me know. And you worked with our mutual friend, Jason Travis, a.k.a. J-Trav. Tell us about that experience. How many locations were you, were you all at? Because I definitely recognized St. Augustine, but wasn't sure. 
it was just in St. Augustine. He flew down to meet us and we spent like two and a half days shooting. Um, there was a little bit of pre-planning involved with like booking the lighthouse to shoot in and stuff, but oh. yeah, it was really fun, really fun time. It was just like a very relaxing, fun experience for everybody. It's such a great video. I love that shot, Jonah, of you like in the window with your guitar. That is like one of the first shots. Super yeah, yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. It took him like 10 minutes to shoot that. It was crazy. Because we literally then, had like, we had like 10 minutes to shoot the drone. And luckily, Jason knows what he's doing very well. <laughs> and like, and he just nailed it because we only had one shot. Like we had one chance to do it, basically. Yeah. And it's really cool. It was really cool. Yeah, he nailed, I mean, yeah, he nailed it. Like it's so... Yeah. Perfect. It almost looked computer generated or something. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's cool. That's impressive. Um, yeah, the video is beautiful. And I got to say, Mateel, your wardrobe was immaculate. Yeah. Thanks. And you looked flawless after being soaked in the water somehow. <laughs> it was Super. a fun time. Super good video. And I also love, so this kind of reminds me of Shay too, the outfit and vibes from the millionaire video. You have a hat with like clear or like crystal dangly things, like a chandelier almost all across. And and maybe on your shirt too, if I recall. Oh uh, yeah, I had this like, I had like fringe made of um, like chandelier pieces <laughs> on the shirt too. Did you make yeah, that? That was fun. Yeah, I did. I spent like a long time hooking on every <laughs> single little gem to that outfit and it was totally worth it. I love that video so much. It's a good one. Okay, Jonah, first CD. So I think my first CD was a burned CD um, that my sister burned for me and it was the Blue Album. listen to it all the time and then nice. that, that has become even now like my musical bible weezer is the blue album that is correct right yeah that's i've been super obsessed with the 90s like re-obsessed with the 90s as of late um so this one speaks to me also thank you <laughs> your whole family seems to be pretty obsessed with music is that a thing yeah for sure cool it's a good choice all right. Mateel, tell me your first digital download. Uh, it would have been from LimeWire, and I probably <laughs> threw into my parents' Dell computer by doing that. Man, I'm trying to remember. I remember downloading things that like were recommended by my friends at school and stuff. And then I told my mom about LimeWire, and she was like, this. I don't know. I guess she was probably in her fifties at the time. And she was like, what's that? Like how there's music that you can download on the internet. And I showed it to her and she was like, oh, she was like, look up the velvet underground. And I was like, uh, what's that? <laughs> so there was this like converging of worlds. And then I downloaded, I, I remember downloading velvet underground. I'm sure I, um, downloaded a bunch of other stuff too, but that's one I remember.
very nice. I'm also team LimeWire. That was my platform of choice back then in those days. All right, how about you, Jonah? First digital download. I, I must have tried to download either, this is gonna sound funny, but I, I would have either downloaded D4L or I would have downloaded like literally like one of Soldier Boy's early songs. <laughs> I just thought that I was like when when that shit when LimeWire was out and I was downloading music it was like Atlanta rap music and then like like maybe some random shit but like LimeWire was weird though because it was kind of scarce like you could download torrents later and get full albums, but like finding a full album on LimeWire was hard to come by and you had to work to get like the yeah. same quality song. You know what I mean? Like they would all be in different. Yeah, that's true. Qualities, you know, or be yeah. like missing like the sixth song on a record or whatever. So like, uh, yeah, I, I always would just download like single songs that I was interested in. And then you have people totally mislabeling things. Like you wanted to download No Doubt, but it's, or you want to download Say Ferris, but it's No Doubt because like, yeah. it that Bob Marley sings Red 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 Rock Wine, but it's not him. Like that's not him. Yeah. I think it's UB40, <laughs> but it was in LimeWire is that, and like you could like advertise. I don't know. That was like the first like guerrilla advertising. I feel like on yeah through music because people would yeah. put ads and stuff in in songs that you thought you were downloading. Yeah, like put it, put the other artist's name inside of your track's title so that you could get the search hits. Yeah. Right. Or like, I don't know who benefited from putting UB40 as Bob Marley. Like who, you know, like. No, that's just an error. <laughs> right, that's just wrong. <laughs> that is a mistake. <laughs> All right, well, Jonah, you've taken us from Alvin and the Chipmunks to Soldier Boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty great. Yeah. That's another influence of Atlanta, like you said. I, because I grew up in the South, but I feel like Tennessee didn't have that same like thing that Atlanta had. Tennessee? So that's cool. Yeah. I grew up Memphis, in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess Memphis definitely. Yeah. But Memphis is dope. I'm still like super inspired by Memphis rap. Like, I think Memphis rap is still like kind of in today's rap, like in a big way. Oh yeah, like what? Like what? Like even like I mean, ASAP. The whole ASAP mob basically took Memphis rap and like made it New York. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. There's just like a lot of influence. Like Tommy Wright the Third. Yeah. Um, just a lot of like underground yeah. dudes that like yeah. people don't know about, but got kind of I don't know. But yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Cool, Mateel. First album you bought yourself. What was the first album you bought for yourself? Um, oh, I remember. It was at a little um, record store slash CD store because they had mostly CDs. But it was like an independent store. It was out in um, Noonan, Georgia. can't remember what the store was called, but it was in a strip mall. And I bought Just Push Play by Aerosmith. <laughs> Because it had this like, Trash. <laughs> it had this robot girl 
um, uh, on the cover that was like this chrome. It's like he's like this really famous uh, artist. I can't remember his name, but he he makes these great um, illustrations of these like chrome robot, like sexy chrome robot ladies. And one one of his pieces was the album cover. And I, so as you can tell, I, <laughs> I just bought it for the cover. It was not that good. <laughs> uh, Hajime Surayama. Yes. It's like a robot Marilyn Monroe-esque yeah. illustration, something. Yeah, wait, what songs are even on this one? <laughs> I don't know any of these songs. Yeah, I know, I don't either. <laughs> Did I just miss this entire Aerosmith era? It's <laughs> <laughs> their 13th album. Dude, Mathilde, don't let Mathilde fool you. She still plays her shit on the road. <laughs> All this on. I mean, it debuted at number two? Of course it did. How? <laughs> because Aerosmith that's the way this shit works. To, Aer- to Aerosmith's credit, actually, I don't know. This is actually, this could be a bad thing. Some people may have an opinion about this that is like, this is a bad thing. I think they were the first uh, musical artist ever to have an MP3 on the internet. I think it was Aerosmith. Oh, that is an interesting factoid. I wonder which song it was. Don't want to miss a thing. Probably. <laughs> Just push play. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Mateo uploaded it. <laughs> it was me. Should we go? And on. I mislabeled it as like another Rolling Stones art- artist. It was Rolling Stones. <laughs> I see the words techno and poppy included to describe this album. Are there Aerosmith techno tracks on this album? I think there were some elements on there that were modern elements. (laughs) Holy crap. Okay. We're putting that on the list for after, after our conversation also. Okay. I'm saying the first MP3 on the internet is Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega. Which is what? Because that's from 1988. So that song came out a lot earlier than like Napster really started popping off. So the Aerosmith would have made way more sense to me. But (laughs) (laughs) well, here's uh, yeah, Duran Duran released their first electronic single, Electric Barbarella, which kind of goes along with the title. (laughs) So everything was electric. Yeah. Boogie, woogie, woogie. Um, <laughs> actually, this is a good question for you, for you both. So I feel like 70s Aerosmith and like 90s Aerosmith, 90s, late 90s Aerosmith, like there's such a change in their sound there from being very like classic rock driven to this more like ballad, epic ballad songs for movies, things like that. Right. So they totally changed their sound, but it really worked for them because they didn't really have any number one hits when they were in the 70s, even though they were still a really well-known rock band. And then totally changed from that. And they're still a rock band, right? Don't get me wrong, but yeah. Then they had huge success, crossover success. Have During the pandemic at all, did you, your your sound change or like your vision for Matilda as a band change at all? Like, not that you're like, 
changing to be ballad driven like Aerosmith, but I'm just using that as an example. Like, did you have you changed at all after the pandemic? Or we're still in it, but you know what I mean. Like during the pandemic, has anything changed for you musically? I think oh, yeah. the Jonah's sensibilities have opened up the music to sound um, kind of like more open-minded, if that makes sense. I mean, it's like you put out a record and you immediately start thinking about the next record and what you want to do differently. You know what I mean? So, <clears throat> I mean, our the last album we put out was like, what, 2007? When, when, when did Satisfactory come out? 2019 but we were we made that record like two years before that yeah so like oh. when the process is like people hear it and then you're already like onto something else by the time they hear it so yeah it's like i mean definitely the pandemic fast forwarded a lot of creative space and time but uh the actual like drive to make to expand our horizons so to speak kind of started from the release of the second record you know Cool. Like after that, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and we also like. I mean, we wouldn't have made this album without COVID. Straight up, like, it would have been a lot different, and we would have been. We would have had to rush it and be on tour and come off tour and do this, and it would just been a way different album. Yeah, this new one, you mean? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to hear the rest of it because I love the Jeff Goldblum song a lot. Is it about Jeff Goldblum or is it just, can you tell us that? Uh, I know, some people are like, we don't want to tell, you just got to come up with your own meanings. We tell you the meaning then. Well, it's about, it's, so yes, the song is presumably about a guy who looks like Jeff Goldblum. Oh. A younger, a younger Jeff Goldblum. A younger Jeff Goldblum. Cool. Okay, so I don't think I've asked this yet. Did I ask? No, I didn't. Jonah, what was the first album you bought yourself? It was either uh, Flaming Lips, uh, Yoshimi Battles, The Pink Robots. Oh, Yoshimi, they don't believe me, but you. that's the title and then it was either that or like i bought like an afi album that wasn't cool but i liked afi for some reason (laughs) and then i liked uh it was either those two or i'm pretty sure it was flaming lips um and yeah it was that that was definitely it i don't i don't have a third option yep have you listened to that album recently i have and it's so good i forgot well, Wayne, um, Wayne Coyne was at freaking uh, Austin City Limits, and he was just hanging out. I guess he, like, performed with Miley Cyrus, and it was just wild, like, watching him walk around and, like, just kick it. And <laughs> that made me, like, go back and listen to a lot of that stuff, just seeing him. Because he was just chill and cool and, like, making himself available to anybody who wanted to talk to him. Yeah. Natalie, have, do you like the Flaming Lips? I do. That was I discovered them much, much 
later in life, though, so I don't have like a super strong connection to it. Um, but yeah, I kind of went back and filled in some rock history gaps, like once I got into college and such, and they were definitely a part of it. Yeah, yeah I saw them when I was in college live, and it was on the Soft Bulletin tour. But here's the neat part is they had little um, individual like Walkman, cassette Walkmans for everyone, supposedly, so that you could hear the little intricate sounds whilst the loud ones were playing live. Really? I don't know that I could really hear anything extra through those headphones, and I think I turned them back in, but um, I had confetti in my pockets for like a year <laughs> after that. <laughs> um, and how, man, they were ahead of their time, well, in a lot of ways, but especially with the whole pandemic bubble thing. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And, like, yeah. they had, like, a guy's penis in a music video. Never seen that before. Whoa. Well, Peaches does that, too. Peaches? So when was that? What year I don't know. There? This was, like, probably three or four years ago. I just remember that it's, like, this science experiment. There's two bodies. I just, you see this dude and his... We we it checking out. And I was like, yeah, I can't believe they put this on YouTube. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I feel like pretty forward to, thinking. Yeah, I'll have to save that search result for later. But wait, That's was not it, very I feel like, like there was a band in the nineties that had a, a song called Detachable Penis and they had a video. Oh yeah. Uh hobo. I saw it on Beavis and Butthead. Um, it's called it's called King Missile. King, King Missile. Missile. Yeah, King Missile, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about that hobo. Beavis and Butthead song. was the best show ever made, wasn't it? It it's exposed you to so, so much funny. good music. Yep. Yeah. And I still, so I have a 90s stream and I play a music video review, the Beavis and Butthead music or video, like one song every stream. And I have not grown up. I, I still just like laugh so hard at everything that they say. I'm a child, basically. <laughs> oh, well, they're coming back. So get ready to Tell relive yeah, your wait. youth. Well, Mike, Ju Mike Judge is a genius. He he knows yeah. exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he's great. It's 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 simple, but it's it's you're it's always gonna be funny because it's funny. <laughs> Stupid, simple, <All> right. funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, this is a fun one. Mateel, tell us about your first concert. Um, my dad took me to go see Kansas. Uh, I can't remember which amphitheater it was, um, but it was like outside of Atlanta. <laughs> we went to go see Kansas play. And I remember it being good. It was like they had all these, you know, they had a, a whole orchestral element, like violins and everything. But it was really, he just wanted to go see Kansas, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool at the time, for sure. I mean, dust in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Super party killer. <laughs> what? No, it's great. I'm trying to learn that finger guitar picking part. <laughs> that's that's an epic first concert. <laughs> it was we were on the grass watching Kansas. It was cool. Uh, and I got the t-shirt and everything. Isn't there a Kansas a song? Do you sell the t-shirt, Yeah, I do. It's on my mom's. 
<laughs> oh yeah. You gotta I bet that is worth some money now. Kansas. Yeah. Vintage tea. Yep. All right. How about you, Jonah? What's your first concert? It was the Riot Tour from Carmen, which was a like the most like well-known Christian pop star. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much rocked my world. And then uh, nothing was the same after that. And everything kind of went downhill after that show. And I was like six years old. So no, I'm just kidding. But it was, it was yeah. Hilarious. You just like, it was like this <laughs> arena show and I was watching this dude sing about stomping the devil out. And, uh, uh RIP. Yeah. RIP. He was a, he was a nice guy though. He was a good guy died last year yeah i can't remember what he sounds like but that's so actually related just, to that. if you think about the best music ever made just imagine that <laughs> ever made well okay so and your dad like you said your dad made that recording that recording anointed has like what is has your religious upbringing influenced your music at all or did you like did you start playing music to play like in the church or did you just do it because you like rock and roll music no I definitely started playing because uh well I wanted to play drums and then uh, there was like you know you could just play like the youth group but I wasn't good enough to play for the actual church because uh we had like unbelievable musicians and like the guy who taught me how to play a drum beat was like is like a very well he's like a great drummer um that's cool and he played for our church and uh yeah, eventually I got good enough to like fill in if they if he was like sick or something. But yeah, like it doesn't influence my music at all. Like, I guess the gospel integrity of music or not, I shouldn't say integrity, but like that feeling that you get yeah. from listening to certain gospel music, I, I like to think is involved in what I do now. But um, it, it just doesn't, it hasn't carried itself into what I do now. But I did start in the church. I do think playing in the church is probably like the best boot camp for a growing musician, like a young musician. Yeah. For sure. Because the greatest musicians, the greatest vocalists are in churches, you know? Yeah. And you learn how to perform a lot. You know, you have to perform in front of for people sure. every Sunday and Wednesday or whenever your church services are. And like for me, that's what was so useful from it. It's just like like you kind of gotta just show up and not mess up if if you know like that's basically the idea. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and it teaches you how to just like jump in and let go because, hey, if somebody gets the spirit and they want to have like a little praise moment, you got to be ready to dive in, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there's the whole like you can't really play in bars till you're 21 anyways. Pew. But I would be playing bars. Or, we had a band. My oh, mom really? Was our shows and stuff. We'd, we'd be playing bars like in Forsyth and all these places. Like, yeah, since I was like nine, I was playing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, was just I, had gonna a, say. I had a band that was Christian that my brother sang in, and like we we would still go play like weird places like that. Oh, I was just gonna say, I feel like uh, growing up in church life or whatever. I I'm kind of a heathen, but I had a lot of friends who went to church. Um, but they all and their bands could play like at the church anytime, you know, like on a weeknight or like they could set up a little stage outside and they would have little shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, before. You know, it was off to the the big time, the bars. Yeah, right. And if you're in the suburbs, it's like 
that's probably the only two options. And like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it worked out for us. That's true. Cool. Okay, Mateel, what was your first music obsession? I was probably four and PBS had Riverdance <laughs> on the TV. in the living room and I would stand up and like try to dance like the river dance dancers <laughs> and the Irish, like, I don't folk music, I guess <laughs> I was obsessed. I was obsessed with it. And, um, I remember it. It's actually like one of my earliest memories really. Cause I was very young when that was on. I love that story so much. <laughs> river dance. Uh, I can see a little material. She's actually me. busting out the clogs for the next tour. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's dusting them off. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame you on that one. I mean, Riverdance was such a huge phenomenon. It's crazy. I think everybody got caught up in it. Yeah. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Celtic dancing. <laughs> that was in the 90s, right? Because I feel like there was a lot of Celtic things just sort of popping off at the same time. Uh, Lorena McKinnett. was having global success with her Irish, like, Celtic songs. That movie with Drew Barrymore, where she's, like, Cinderella. Do you yeah, there, that kind of aesthetic is, like, yeah. weird. I guess I never put that together, but also Caroline Polachek's visuals are oddly sort of, like, Celtic-ish. Oh. I've yeah. noticed um, there's not, like, that much... There, there's there's similarities between Caroline Polachek's like stage sets and Riverdance. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Interesting. Jonah, what was your first musical obsession? I think, yeah, it would have to be Rage Against the Machine. Because, and I wasn't into like a lot of other like rap infused rock music but like and i think they get kind of lumped into a lot of lame bands they get like kind of associated with bands that aren't very good but um <laughs> i liked rage against the machine a lot and i was like trying to play drums like that and like was just yeah i would like just like play along to their music all the time and was very into it so yeah and i still i, I if i if you put on rage against the machine now i still listen to it and it's great so yeah i'm with you on that one yeah. I mean, yeah. About. I wonder, yeah, I guess they came out in the 90s too around the same time that some other bands like Pearl Jam and like then that whole sort of bro rock thing sort of happened. And then they are kind of aggro in a way, but like in a good way because they're talking about real shit uh, that's kind of sucky about. Well, it's just they got ruined. Like their identity is kind of kiboshed by Limp Biscuit, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. like that. And you're like, you, it's such a different thing, but yeah. Zach, Zach De La Roca is like an actual, like, I don't know, intelligent person. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, he's, and I like, I like listening to his interviews and, and I, I just dig their music a lot. So 
that, yeah, that's what it was like got me to like want to really make music when I was like a kid I think yeah and then Tom Morello is like one of the best guitar players ever like he's and he's great. kind of a geek but it's good but you know he's like he's a smart dude like just a, I don't know I, I dig I dig that you know yeah that's cool I just want to say for you Mathiel uh, Riverdance is still going strong they're on tour all through 2022 what that's awesome. <laughs> oh, I got to go see Riverdance for real. I'll go with you. Let's go. <laughs> Get the clogs out. <laughs> Get your tights on. Let's do it. All right. Next question. Mateel, tell us about your first musician crush. My first musician crush was probably uh, like Aaron Carter. Oh, Aaron was, Carter. Yeah, Aaron Carter. Uh, I can't even remember what his songs are, like what his hit song was called. Or like, oh, he did I Want Candy. And then he did some other stuff in the 90s. And I was probably like six or seven or something. Was he the, the one elder. that was in the Backstreet Boys? No, no his, elder Carter. his like brother was. Oh, there. you weren't into him. He was Backstreet, yeah. The older brother. Right. Oh, the older oh, okay. brother. Okay, gotcha. Ni oh, yeah, Nick. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. I'm getting them <laughs> confused. Dude, Aaron Carter, man. <laughs> How about, he's just a, he's a rough, he's a rough guy. I know. He's <laughs> been through a lot. I know. Been through it's, a lot. It's upsetting. So, Mateel, if you were a big uh, Aaron Carter fan, have you watched any of his movies? No. I he's got did, have not. He's got an incredible film like the mid-2000s called Popstar, which I strongly advise you try to watch. It's, it's so hysterical and so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, gosh. Okay. I Aaron Carter from that era, yeah. What, what, so how old would he have been when he was in that movie? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it came out in 05. He was born in 87. He was really speedy with the math on that one. So he was like 18? Well, he looked like he was like 10 years old and maybe 50 pounds soaking wet. Um, <laughs> but he might have been 18. Who knows? Well, I will maybe check it out. <laughs> maybe. All right, Jonah, how about you? Who's your first musician crush? My first musician crush. You know, I think originally I thought it would have been Britney Spears, but it was definitely Gwen Stefani. I think she was just doing it, doing it, doing it right. And, uh, and I, I really was into No Doubt, too. So I, uh, my sister, that's another, um, uh, I got to give that to, up to my sister for putting me onto all that era of music. And yeah, I think it was definitely with Stefani. Still is. She's still yeah, beautiful. She's just uh, cool. Like, she, she doesn't sound like anybody else. And like the yeah. way she was like about, she was just, she had a cool thing going. It was cool. Yeah. I mean, plus, I don't know, as a young person in the 90s, a young girl in the 90s, I feel like 
she was writing all the songs that I could relate to, like all of them. Don't Speak, I'm Just a Girl, uh, Walking into Spiderwebs, like all of those I was just strongly relating to somehow. Totally. I mean, even she as was a reading guy, my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're great. Very. I even love like their early, those ska records, like those first couple albums they had before they blew up. Trapped in a box? Yeah. That's so good. For sure. So good. Okay. Mateel, first time you spent way too much money on a concert. Um, too much money. I went to, I mean, I enjoyed the concert, but the tickets were expensive. I went to go see 99X's Mistletoe Jam 2007, I think. And that lineup was AFI, Plain White Tees, OK Go, Killers were like headlining it. And Jet and Jet, those were all the bands. That seems like a fun lineup. Yeah, it was really, it was really fun when we finally got to see Jet and the Killers. Those were my, I liked those yeah. shows. That was at Phillips Arena when Phillips Arena was first. Oh, nice. What about you, Jenna? Um, the only, the only show I can remember spending too much money to go see was, uh, the Yeezus tour, and, but it was awesome and. Uh, Kendrick Lamar opened up and no one cared. And it was it's like, just it was a crazy thing to experience um, because he ended up being like kind of bigger than Kanye at the time. And uh, yeah, so that was a really crazy show and totally worth the money, but I spent too, I probably spent too much on it. <laughs> Do you remember ticket price? Can we ask that? I don't even know if we, we should, but it was over I'm like, curious. it was probably like 250, I don't know, 250 oh. probably. I just wanted to spend, I just, I was broke at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just like, I just definitely wanted to go. Well, speaking of live shows, you have quite a lot of tour dates yourselves coming up. Are you excited? Nervous? Ready? Yes. Very ready. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like February. Well, it starts in late February and then um, March, April, May, middle of June. It'll be like three and a half months straight. Yeah, doing North America, and then you're doing a whole European tour too. Yes. Like. That's exciting. Hopefully oh, yeah. nothing, no more COVID things ruin it, because I also have many show tickets. Mm -hmm. So please do not cancel any more shows. Um, that's very exciting. Quick question. I'm curious. Tell me, like, what's the most challenging part of planning putting together a tour um there are so many moving parts uh i guess the most important thing that i found is like this is all technical stuff but like you really have to be sure that you're being safe when you're like trying to get from one place to the next and you've already thought about how far the distance is from like one city to the next because you don't want to be driving for a long time at night, you know, things like that. It's like hmm. safety stuff that I mostly worry about. Um, yeah, but it works out. Like we've done it enough now to where we know how to do it all. 
That's cool. cool. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> kind of piggybacking off of that last question here, Mathilde, tell us the first time you spent way too much money on an album. Too much money on an album. I feel like it's like an insult to whoever I name. Not too right? much. A lot. You know. <laughs> More than the average cost. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I paid too much for it, but it was like an original box set of uh, All Things Must Pass. But it's like my favorite thing ever. But yeah, it was. Expensive. I want that. It I was would like, also spend spend that on that. Bucks. That's not bad for that. For George Harrison? Yeah. No. Well, it wasn't in the greatest shape. I'll just say that it was like no. the box set was a little rough. <laughs> All right. How about you, Jonah? Too much money on an album. I spent too much money on. A few records when I'm not going to put her on blast, but this lady had a, a, a antique store in Atlanta, across the street from the Taco Bell and Ponce de Leon, and it no longer exists. And uh, I was like looking through these records, and I thought I was like really coming up on something because I was like early record buyer. And she just kind of like I don't know, sold me records that weren't worth that much money, and I ended up spending like 120 bucks on like four records that like I thought were worth way more than they were because she was telling me that. So it was like, it was probably like, like a Ray Charles record and like a couple other like 50s rock and roll records that I was like into and thought that like I was getting a good deal on and they were not worth that in the long run. Oh, dang. But otherwise I worked at a record store and most of my record collection came from me working there. And I like got a bunch of stuff for too cheap. So that was the only time I spent too much money on a record, I think. Nice. Was pretty it lucky? Yeah. Criminal records. Criminal records. Our competition. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it, right? That's our last first timers quiz question. But I did mention this before, and I am curious about this. What does your process look like? Like when you work together, do you write the lyrics and the melodies, Matilda, and then you, Jonah writes the music parts, and then you make sure they go together and then you record them. Like, what do, what do you do? How do you do it? It's, it's kind of the opposite way around for this record. Jonah will write um, the structure of the song itself. And then I, well, like, we, we rented out this cabin in North Georgia Ooh, in uh, cool. the summer of 2020. And then wrote these demos together and that's pretty much what the process was like i would like go hide in a room and write words and melodies and then come back and record the demo that's cool yeah it's like a lot of like me throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what like material is into because like like this song we have coming out in like a few weeks like i had to like kind of like we had to get to the point where until it was like cool, like, with, like uh, inspired by it, I guess. So like, yeah, it just takes a little bit of like tr trial and error, and I think that comes with like writing songs in general. But yeah, just like musically, it's my end, and Matilda's like the lyrics and vocals. Nice. Yeah, it's always interesting to me um, 
how people collaborate. Yeah. Do you two ever butt heads? We definitely have. (laughs) Yeah. I think those days are, I mean, mostly over. We're just like, kind of like figured out what we both are into. Now it's like a lot less button heads. Mm. Well, I think it's time for us to lock up the store. But before we go, we have to restock our uh, employee recommendation shelf. Um, Natalie, do you have anything to add to the shelf today? Okay, well, Tara, you know I am very indecisive, so I can't say I have a full-on <laughs> recommendation. I'm going to call these tentative suggestions okay? because I haven't even watched these yet, but they're on my to-do list. Um, currently, there are two documentaries out, one about Kanye West on Netflix that I haven't got around to watching, but I think I must. And there's also, and this is what I'm actually excited about, there's a documentary about Janet Jackson. On Lifetime, and I have to figure out how to watch. I know I'm. I'm just. I'm going to curl up in my blanket and my tea and just soak it all in. I want to hear every last thing out of her mouth. When you said documentary, I was like, I hope you knew it was Janet. Yes, I can't wait to watch. I got to watch that like immediately. So it's out on Lifetime. Yeah, yeah. People were tweeting up a storm about it. I will sign up for a free Lifetime trial just to watch (laughs) it. Just for that one, right? And then unsubscribe. Uh, I am going to recommend a new song by Sebastian Tellier. It's called Claire Obscure. And I've already listened to it like 20 times and it just came out. I love it so much. It's only like two minutes long, so it's really easy to listen to three times in one sitting by accident. Um, Just loop it over and over. Sebastian Tellier, Claire Obscure. Uh, Jonah and Mathilde, if you want to add something to the recommendation shelf, you certainly can if you want to. Yeah, this record by this band Mathilde coming out in March, and it's called Georgia Gothic, and I think that's the only thing you should listen to for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. I've already pre-ordered my copy. You can pre-order it on Bandcamp. Do it. Do it to it. Yeah. Or www.mateel.com. There you go. Cool. Thanks so much for chatting with us. This has been really fun. It's been really cool learning more about your process and what you guys have coming up for 2022. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for letting us in the store. Yeah. I'm excited to hear the rest of the album. Cool. Well, we're going to lock up the store. We've been here for way too long. Happy trails, everyone. Bye. Bye. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.